Stilton. <coughs> Halloumi. Cheese. 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 Swiss. Ch. Ch. Cheese. Manchego. Chego. What's your favorite cheese that's easy to get anywhere? You know what? I've, as you know, 30 year vegetarian, I've considered this question a lot because I love <laughs> cheese. Uh, and I can't answer it because cheese is like, it, it, it just varies for so many different things. Cheese. I need certain types of cheese for certain types of things and they're the perfect fit, you know? So if you, you're talking sandwich, you're talking, I need a melting cheese. I mean, right off the bat, if you what need about a, mel- a cracker cheese, if you need a melting cheese, 50% are, are out, you know? Truth. Um, cracker cheese, plain cracker, boring stuff. Um, yeah. Oh man, I can't even answer it. Cause like quick in my head, I go like, oh, I love a smoked Gouda. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, but what about like a nice chunky cheddar with like the crystals? Oh. And then I'm like, mm, but what about just like a Jarlsberg? Jarlsberg That's, is delicious, you know, undervalued cheese, the Jarlsberg. Yes. I feel like Swiss has gone, gone like the way of like the landline phone. Is it, is Swiss still kicking? Yeah, but I think people in the know choose Jarlsberg. <laughs> it is hipper. I remember Jarlsberg when I was growing up was like the fancy cheese in my house. And if oh, my yeah. mom would, I remember, you know, of course we had to go to the supermarket once a week and we went to like Grand Union, ShopRite, whatever, like Pathmark, all the, you know, the, the normal budget places. But once a month, sometimes she'd let us go to King's, which was like a fancy one up on the hill. Mm-hmm. And we get some fancy stuff. And that's when we get the Jarlsberg. But we were like not allowed to chunk out of it. She had <laughs> this like cheese slicer thing, you know, like the ones that <laughs> like drags on the surface. And yeah. you had to like slice very thin. Like the Jarlsberg had to be like dealt with carefully, you know. Uh, yeah. You weren't allowed to just like wake up in the night and like house half that thing, get killed <laughs> in the morning. You know. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? <sighs> I'm a whirlwind of emotion. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. As usual, just <laughs> as per. just filled with with pure joy and abject terror at the same time, <laughs> all the time. You know, it's exhausting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Bunch of stuff's been coming up. You know, what came up in this interview is something I've been thinking about a lot, which is mental th- health. No, not so much. Not that part of it. Um, but like, you know, the existential crisis that's existed for me for a good, like, I'm going on close to maybe 35 years at this point, searching around. And I think this whole time I thought I could intellectualize my way out of this somehow, you know, Mm. like, like I'll just think about it hard enough in enough different ways get enough information from people who are like really smart from all angles and you'll figure out some like puzzle that feels okay for you. Mm-hmm. And that's happened to some degree, but not to the degree I'd like, because even though I've come to terms with the fact that like, I'm going to die and I don't know what happens. It's fine. You know, like 
I haven't come to terms with like the absolute infinite nature of time and space and my tiny, tiny little speck in it. You can't, you never will. So, so the thing, and, and we brought it up in this interview, I think some of my heroes, like the people I deemed the greatest critical thinkers of the human race, you know, Mm. George Carlin, Vonnegut, someone like Bob Dylan, even though he's still around, Leonard Mm. Cohen, the people like I was like, yo, they know what's up. You know, the way they talk to me, they know what's up. They all got to like the end of their lives and kind of had like a, you know what? Like, fuck Jesus Christ with you people. (laughs) Like, like they put their faith in people and kind of this whole structure and they, they didn't, I don't know if they wound up in like the best place. And I want to go out like floating on a cloud, just like, fuck you. You know, like that, that's like what I want to do. And I'm not there yet. I'm, and I'm looking for more angles now, I think. I'm hitting a wall here. Whoa. And I, you know, but I don't believe in, you know, a lot of any like organized religion. I don't know what's going on there. So it's uh it's an interesting road, Brad. You got any recommendations? Yes, guy like I know me? the I have the answers. <sighs> yes. Gaia, she is our a true goddess. Mm-hmm. You can touch her, she'll touch you. You may think you can kill her, but you can't. Mm-hmm. She's a living creature. Yeah. With a heart. Yes. Floating in infinite space with others. Far, far away. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know, buddy. Well, you, you'll have to go <laughs> onto the next plane before you'll be able to comprehend the greater, the greater expanse of the universe and sure infinity and all of that. Because your little mind, as as awesome as it is, it's just not it's not capable of uh, of comprehending these bigger issues. So just You're accept right. your goddess. Couldn't she, agree more. She'll care for you. She gave birth to you. Couldn't agree more. Literally identifiable and present and has everything that any God uh, has ever been accused of. But listen, as, as science and technology moves here, right? And you're watching like people grow like human arms and jars, you know, which means like, we're just, we're so close to just being able to like make a person improve a person we're like mm-hmm. 200 years away from some like really really bizarre stuff we couldn't imagine sometimes when i look at like the human body and its processes and the fact that you oh you have four chambers here and you have this and then you like go outside and you see the interconnected nature of the forest through like you know the mushrooms and the veins of the forest feeding each other and all this and, like, I don't think there was some, like, dude with a beard, like, playing with a fucking erector set, just being like, well, this is cool. But, I, like, some of it could potentially have a design to it. I just gave you the answer. There was, it was designed by an actual god. Oh, so you, so Gaia is not just, like, some metaphorical reference to the Gaia earth. Gaia is the earth, you. the planet earth. Right, right. Yeah. She, she's a creature, and there's... And there's other ones like her, I know. but she's as big as we can currently comprehend. Essentially. Yes. Yes. And she's done all the you. things she created life. She created like all the things that people say that their gods are, have done and that makes them God. She's, she's done it and she's here. And, and like, 
That's what I I don't understand. Like, I mean, I'm not religious and I'm not promoting this religion. I'm just saying like, if you're looking for a God, you have one and she made you and everything that you look for in a God is like, it's, it's exists. Like that's the good news. There's good news. Is God is real and I can prove it. And, (laughs) <laughs> she watch out for you. Well, let me ask you this though. Like does this doing. does this guy judge you? It, yeah. To a, does to she green? know does she know you? Does she judge your behavior no. while you're She's here? She's a god. She doesn't fucking care. So no interest in like yeah, that, what we're up to. Yeah, that that whole like that's fucking like, egotistical yeah, insanity the, that like anybody uh-huh. with the powers to create this universe would have the slightest fucking right. care for your petty little fucking bullshit. Like that is just, that's so insane and like egotistical <laughs> and like, fuck you. If you really think that, <laughs> that anybody's answering your goddamn prayers, like. Yeah, it's hard. It's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's. That's a dead end for me too. It, it, it <laughs> doesn't make any sense. No. That's why, I mean, at this point, like if someone floated down from space and was like, oh, hey, like the whole Muhammad, Jesus, that story, that's real. Or if <laughs> someone was like, hey, hey, we've been watching you from up here. We made you like a really long time ago. And this is kind of just interesting for us. I'd be like, oh, okay, that's real. You know, and I, like every option is on the table because I'm with you. I don't know. But I can't stop the search, and that's what you're asking me to do. You know, I well, that's I the point. Like, I if don't that know happened, how to just exist in this time and space comfortably, abandoning that search. You know, if, if people can, you know, this is the problem. This is why they can't accept the Gaia thing because if that happened, your scenario happened, they would have to abandon that God as like a tangible thing and they'd have to go on to another spiritual like one that they've made up in their imagination they they wouldn't accept it they wouldn't be able to deal with it Mm. because they want the imaginary like (laughs) no i agree with you but listen i was born jewish like there are people that want to murder me because of the imaginary thing which makes it real you know this is like weird stuff like that like like you can't you know, I have to accept the fact that I'm I'm this thing, whether I like it or not, unless I want to choose one of your like weird white last names. <laughs> what would I choose if I had to go like pretend to be like a white dude? What's like the, the like Whitworth or like what's the most like Benjamin Whitworth? Now I said I'm like a financial firm. Whitmore. Whitworth. What's the best <laughs> like uh like super white guy last name I could take? What about Ben Smith? Hi, uh, how you doing? Ben Smith here. Ben Smith. Yeah. That guy's (laughs) definitely a licensed carpenter. Ben Smith. Ben Smith. I could run for Congress if I was Ben. How much easier I could run for Congress if my name was Ben Smith instead of Ben Horowitz. You know? (laughs) Like how many hurdles I have right off the bat. Just just throwing that on there. That happened to me the other day. I went into one of these farm stores around here. Really cool place, nice people. No reason I should really be paranoid. But to put my uh, rewards program stuff on, I had to give my last name, not like my phone number or something. Mm-hmm. And like my Jewish alarm goes off right away. <laughs> where I'm like, I don't know. Like maybe she didn't notice. Maybe she is Jewish. Maybe she hates Jews. It's on the table all the time. And 
they overcharged me for like a bunch of <laughs> stuff. Like they were like, I was buying bags of soil and it was like, they were like uh, $6.99 a bag. I, I had to buy eight of them and they were charged me $9.99 a bag. So like, of course I had to say something. It was an obvious <laughs> mistake, but I'm like, for fuck's sake, like, <laughs> no. And then I get in the car, I load the car and, and I'm like, wait, I didn't tip the dude who like helped me load like the back of my truck. I can't be considered cheap. Like jumped out of the car, gave like his friend five bucks to like go give to him on the other side of the fucking farm. That's how like hyper self-conscious I have to be of that shit. Or I don't have to be, but I am just because of, you know, the fact that I know a lot of people hate Jews. <laughs> Simply put. <laughs> I... I'm sorry that you feel that way. I just, and maybe I'm completely, uh, you know, you know, delirious with my, uh, I've been in New York too long, but that's it. I just, I can't imagine that that's a real big problem in, in New Jersey. Yeah. There's a lot of New Jersey. Alabama. It just, it seems so. I mean, you ever I been to the Pine Barrens? I realize, I realize there's so many ignorant people. It just seems like it's, it's almost, it, it actually, it, it actually makes me laugh. I'm, that well, like, you, here's the like thing: you, you really got to dig. It's like really digging for something to like yeah. fucking hold against somebody else. I just, I can't like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, racism in terms of like black and white. You know, like. I can understand like the fear of people that don't look like you, but like, you know, with, with Jews, that's not really, that's not there. Brad, you realize this whole brand new branch of right wing conspiracy is based on the fact that Jews are sucking babies blood, (laughs) which was literally like basically the same Uh, shit that started this like 2000 years ago. Right. I mean, it's always here. Like, I feel like, I feel like when I have conversations with people around where I live, I'm always four steps away from someone talking about some kind of global conspiracy. And there's always the same thing behind it. There is. It's hard. I w- I hope you're right. I do. Because you're probably, probably right. Probably not. I mean... A good percentage say- of the time, the person's probably like, I don't give a shit. I don't even pay attention to last names. Another good percentage of the time, they're probably like, yeah, Jew, whatever, you know, like. But I think, you know what I think? And I, again, I could be, I think that the person that you're talking about is like, is that fucking ignorant hick who's going to, they've got that for everybody. You know, it's like, oh, fucking Jew. Oh, fucking N word. Oh, fucking, you know, New Yorker. Oh, fucking, you know, redhead. Well, New Yorker's oh, code code word for Jew in like 46 states. Bitch. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be some, oh, like the person, and oh, person from the next town. Oh, at, I mean, dude, I remember growing up in like the middle of nowhere and like Southbridge was kind of the shitty, like kind of like semi city that we had. Okay. It was just, it was a large town. Southbridge, really, like, Massachusetts. Yeah. And I just remember like, Oh, Southbridge, fuck those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had it too. I had it too. <laughs> like, what? I They're literally it too. the exact same people. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I had it too. We had a beef for Brown Bees, Somerville versus Manville. So we did. I, it was like I, I, mean, it. I, yeah. I think it's, that that guy. You're right to a point. That anti-Semite that you're talking about is just fucking anti. He's got it. He's got an anti for everybody. Like, but I still got. I still got to think about it, right? Am, of am, or am I nuts? I, I don't I, think I'm nuts. I think it's the one. I don't know. I mean, it's difficult, but I think it's the one situation where you have to give everybody the complete benefit of the doubt. There's also one thing you got to consider in this. What's that? Is you have to remember that every person who's raised Jewish has to, at some point, open your eyes and go, oh, like not that long ago, an entire like continent like was taken over. And like there is just people all around that just hate Jews. You have to like understand that at some point growing up. And like that's something you've never had to swallow. You know? Truth. So it might be like uh maybe this is why we're such an interesting podcast here. Look at this. How, <laughs> We've gone on way too long with how this. culturally rich <laughs> this was. We didn't even talk about our guests. Uh, how long are we in so far? Oh, I don't know. I can't count. Listen, I may long. or may not have gone to the dispensary today, you know? Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> Will Wood. We kicked it off with the fucking universe. Will. That's where it, all, it starts and ends there, baby. You know, <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? If you want to get into small talk, the weather, Ukraine, you got to listen to someone else because I know what's going on, but I'm not going to really comment on it publicly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Who is so, our guest today anyway? Because seems good. to be a hard to pin down guy. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think, I got to be honest, when I was doing this research at one point, I got confused. And I was like, I don't know if I'm interviewing this. I think I just did research for three hours on the wrong person. Because <laughs> I started fishing up some older stuff. And I'm like, wait, what? Is that the same person? And it was really interesting to get into this to know that that was like a conceived character almost. Right. And like what we're seeing now is a little bit more of a true version, but also, you know, as always with some character involved, right? That was cool. Um, but really, I, I, I can't believe this went over my head as a New Jersey thing with someone from Dillinger. Kevin from Dillinger did his, uh, one of his albums. Um, and I hadn't really heard it until the publicist hit me up and I got like half a song in and was like, oh, this is cool and interesting and kind of mm -hmm. weird. And I want to talk to this dude because it was intriguing, you know. Uh, uh -huh. And then I really I got down the wormhole and really enjoyed the music and kind of the the early like macabre act, the aspect of the the music and the act and like, you know, the journey it's going on. I think it's really interesting and I really want to get into this new record when it comes out, you know? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah, let's get into this interview right now. You're not a uh, tech savvy. Uh, I am. No, I'm not tech savvy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Simply put. Yeah. Uh, what about? Leave it to uh, the professionals. What's that? Leave it to the professionals. Yeah. Oh. Thank are, you. Like, are you saying you, Brad? <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is you, creative folks, man. Don't, don't, don't waste your time. Just hey, keep listen. creating. Make art. And then what do you do? Push buttons? Pretend like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> how do you, uh, if, if you're not tech savvy, how, are you, how do you do uh, demos and stuff at home? Are you, are you still on like a dictaphone or, or have you advanced, <laughs> advanced to the computer? Yeah, no, I use wax cylinders. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, I, I know the basics of yeah. working Pro Tools. You know, um, I'm not, I'm no audio engineer, but sure. I, I got, I got the gist enough to get it in there. Yeah. So you're from, you're from the great garden state originally. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize this uh, until we started chatting. Whereabouts you from? Oh, I'm from North Jersey. Yeah. So, you know, uh, New York suburbs, that kind of area. Sure. Sure. Um, uh, so, so just, just to get a feel for this sort sort of thing before we dive into it. Um, yeah. are we, uh, are we rolling, so to speak? Is is this now the the podcast or what? Yeah, we're already in. This is the oh, way we're already we do it. it. Yeah. Oh wow. We just kind of kind of chat. Um, the name of the show is is very apropos, uh, right? You know, I'm not going to ask a lot of like technical questions about you know cool. guitar sounds and things like that. I will. I'll ask. Kind of bores me. Yeah, that's Brad's department. <laughs> No, I just right want, on. yeah, I just kind of wanted to get into it, you know, like that's uh, cool, man. I love like that candid shit. Yeah, I mean, you're in, in full disclosure. When your publicist hit me up, I wasn't fully familiar with a lot of your work, and then after Nobody's. listening <laughs> to like half of uh, one of the new tracks, um, Tomcat Disposables. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Let's get this guy on. This is awesome. Right on. Like, oh, like thank you I very much. thought it was really interesting. And then as I peeled back the onion, uh, you know, I, I could figure out why the song was interesting because you seem interesting. So oh, thank you. <laughs> so that's you. pretty much what I want to get into. Brad likes to call this show these days uh, my therapy sessions via other people. <laughs> oh, Which, wow. Yeah, I love that. I um so let's lay down on the couch. You know? Yeah, if it seems like Benny is seeking validation for anything, he is. So yeah. just okay. help him out. Help him out. Yeah, yeah. Right on. I'll take yeah, as I got much you, man. ego stroking as possible. Yeah. So I do a podcast myself with my friend Chris and uh I have a similar habit. So <laughs> what's uh what's your what's the podcast you're doing? Is that the camp one? No, no. We we do a podcast uh called Life in the World to Come. Uh, camp here and there was just something I did some music for. Oh, uh, okay. Um, uh, 
but the my podcast that I do with Chris Dunn is called Life in the World to Come. And it's like an improv comedy sort of thing where we uh, basically just fuck around, crack jokes and uh, answer uh, audience submitted questions about how to survive the apocalypse. Ooh, fun. Nice. And you, yeah, you, had, you had some stand-up background too, right? Yeah. Um, I, uh, um, I, I, it's, uh, uh, Wikipedia, I think doesn't include comedian in my description. And I suppose it's because they couldn't prove it. Um, <laughs> no, but, references. Um, not a lot. Um, you know, the, uh, my career kind of took off in the middle of the pandemic. So it didn't take off from doing shows or while I was doing shows. Mm. And so nobody had any, had any idea that when I play live, it's usually me, a piano, a ukulele and, and a bunch of one-liners and, uh, <laughs> you know, venting uh, alt comedy sort of stuff. Right, right. So it's more of like a, a show show. Um, yeah. How often, like in what percentage of shows are you doing that? And what percentage are you... Well, I mean, soon to be, I know it's, it's been a little tough to play shows, but playing yeah. with like, um, you know, the people from the tapeworms and the, and, um, having the full band, how often do you do that? Well, I haven't played with the band since early 2020. Oh, um, yeah. and, uh, before then it was a, it was a rare opportunity. It's hard, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to uh, get a band together, especially when there's not a lot of money to go around and everybody's got full-time jobs, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it's just something that hasn't been logistically very doable. And while in theory, I could hire some guys to come yeah, with me on yeah. the road, I don't feel comfortable doing that because sure. uh, I consider the tapeworms some of my best friends and I would, uh, I'd, I'd feel like a real heel just like, uh, replacing even one of them, you know, yeah, it just, yeah. it, it's something that I got, I, they, they've put so much time and energy and dedication into this project. Um, and so much faith into it that sure. at this point I'm kind of like, if I can't get them, I'm touring solo, which is how that's I cool. do the vast majority of my touring and always have really. So I know that's know, what, um, Frank Turner, former guest of going off track as well, had to do that for a long time, you yeah. know, never, never bailed on his band, just was like, guys, I can't afford it for a while, right. you know, and went out and played solo and, and his career got bigger. And then he was able to bring him back and actually pay him a living wage. So I hope, I hope the same happens for you in that, no, maybe someday. In that, in that way. Yeah. Um, so are you familiar with uh, Jack Terrycloth by any chance? Yes, I am. Another New Jersey. Are you a fan? Yeah. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, the first uh, the first band I ever played in back in high school, uh, what we did was World Inferno cover songs for a oh, talent no show. No shit. Okay. Yeah. So I felt I felt that in like not only the music, but also particularly some of like your early presentation. You know, I felt hmm. like I was like, oh, see maybe. And then I heard the Jersey thing, and I'm like, maybe we got a, a Jack Terrycloth fan on our hands. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I wouldn't consider World Inferno to be like one of my biggest influences, but they're, they're certainly in there. And I, I had the pleasure of playing with them a couple of times. And, oh, nice. Um, uh, I, I, I can say with pride that uh, Jack Terrycloth is, is one of a handful of my idols who I've accidentally walked in on while they were changing. Him and Eugene Hutz from Gogo Bordello. Wow. Uh, I, yep. Uh, i humiliated company. myself to both of them. <laughs> How, I mean, are we talking both... Both fully naked or just just like a little accidental slip? 
<laughs> I walked in. I was playing at the House of Independence yeah. with uh, World Inferno. Uh-huh. And I went backstage and I opened a door and Jack was in there just going like, don't come in, I'm naked. And <laughs> and it, it was too late. Um, I had already seen. Uh, seen enough. Yeah. I'd already seen more than I, I, I wanted to. You saw the Terry um, cloth. <laughs> no, luckily I, I, I was able to avert my gaze before I. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, Got the full picture, but God, that I, I, I was so embarrassed. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. And what about Eugene? How did that one come about? Uh, you know, I, I, it was just, I went to an area of backstage that I wasn't technically allowed because uh, I was opening for them at Starlin Ballroom. In, okay. Uh, where is that? Sayersville? Sayersville, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, uh, I, I'd been listening to Go Bordello since I was like 15 or 16 years okay. old, and I was so thrilled to be playing with them. And I, uh, uh, I just kind of snuck backstage to try and shake some hands and, you know, let them know, hey, man, you guys have really made a really great impact on me and are one of my biggest influences. Thank you so much for having me on the show. But instead, it was more just <laughs> me knocking on a door and opening it like a dad um, <laughs> oh, and right. them going like, oh, whoa, and <laughs> then me being ejected. Um, I'm just kidding. I wasn't ejected, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, Eugene, um, I've seen that guy at like the airport with no shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't give a shit. So he's half unclothed almost like most of the time. I it think. does seem like it. Yeah. I think that one's fair game. I mean, I don't think he's worn a shirt in 15 years. No, I, I remember, you know, I knew about Gogo Bordello and I was actually in the same label as them. So, you know, really? we're kind of in the same world. Yeah. On side one dummy. And, uh, and I remember being like, you know, I hope this is authentic. Cause it's mm. really a lot, you know, and if it's not right. authentic, I'm going to have a hard time with this. And then I remember one of the first times we like came into the same circle as them. We saw him at the airport and Eugene was like open shirted, flowing hair with like an acoustic just strapped to him with no bag. And I was like, you know, just like my first impression, I was like, oh, yeah, it's pretty authentic. You know, like, like if he's acting, he's he's really on all the time, you know, <laughs> I, I always figured that there was, you know, obviously a performative element to it because he's an artist. Yeah. But I, I always got the impression it was pretty authentic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, a, it's a mix of both as always. Right. I mean, I even heard heard you talk about that in a different interview where you sort of always connected the performative aspect of art, um, you know, with the presentation, like, like this sure. is supposed to be performed and supposed to be, uh, it, it's part of the package. And I think a lot of people who, you know, especially from my world, from like punk or hardcore, you know, like it's like the opposite. You're not supposed to, because, you know, you're breaking some sort of old sorts of codes and shit like right. that. Total garbage. Um, well, you know, I, I, I'm, um, Back in the day, I used to kind of feel like, um, uh, like, like there didn't need to be a fourth wall, and I didn't need to drop character when I left the stage. Mm-hmm. And so I would walk into a venue already in the character that I would be depicting on stage that night, okay. and I would sell merch in that character, and yeah. I would do the whole thing in character and then leave. And I think to this day, people on like the the DIY scene in New Jersey think that I'm some kind of asshole maniac mm. um, and it's like well you know if if i was in character the entire time 
including off stage, and I behaved like an asshole maniac as part of the character, well, then I was an asshole maniac. <laughs> right, um, right, right. You know, but, uh, and so that's like, so so it used to be like a, a really big thing for me yeah. was to constantly be in character, but constantly be in a different character. Okay. Always named Will Wood, but sure. always trying to play a different version. And, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Andy Kaufman and Eric Andre and uh, all comedians and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, uh, and eventually I, I, I don't, I don't really do that so much anymore. I, I would say that there's always going to be an element of, of, uh, what's the word looking for? Um, it's always going to be somewhat performative. Yeah. Um, but, uh, as of late, especially with the new material I'm working on and the album I've got coming out in a few, a couple months, um, uh, certainly something closer to authenticity is my goal. Right. Um, and it's hard to tell sometimes, right? I mean, I feel like that's yeah. like when you, when you do those characters and especially if, you know, sometimes those characters are built, uh, almost as a defense mechanism, you know? So sure. like the real version of you doesn't have to be at the show and stuff like that in a, in a way. But then I think people spend so much time in that character you know, kind of turn into a piece of it. And then by the time you realize it, you're like, wait, what, what part was me and what part was this character? And then you yeah. kind of have a new normal. Like, did, did you go through that? Oh, for sure. That yeah. was definitely like one of the, one of the big um, uh, realizations that I made over the past few years is that this character was kind of inextricably linked to my day to day identity. Yeah. Um, and it still is to a certain extent, but not quite as extreme because the character or characters that I'm playing these days are not, uh, are, are not so much a work of fiction as they are just who I happen to be when I'm on stage. Right. You right. know, mm-hmm. um, because who you are on stage is always going to be different from who you are not on stage. Yeah, it's, it has to be. You know, yeah. right. Um, it, it can be similar and it's much more similar nowadays than it used to be. But, sure. um, you know, the, the point is that there is, kind of a second identity. There's this, there's the public identity or the, the performance identity that can be very real, but still, you know, not be quite you. And that's kind of where I've started to move towards is trying to represent, trying to have a character that is an honest representation of the real person. Sure. Um, have a stage persona that is not, uh, so effectuated and it's impossible not to partially because you're just on being on stage is a different, it's kind of an altered state of consciousness and right. partially because some of what I say on stage is written. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, most of it is, if it's not written, it's rehearsed to the point where it might as well be written. Right. right, um, right. And then of course the songs are written. And so, um, you know, uh, but, but, but yeah, uh, I, th- I think to more, uh, I, I'm rambling a little bit, but the point no, is um, that, Back in the day, um, when uh, when I was so dedicated to the craft of character creation um, and uh, bringing that character off stage, I did find that it was having a sort of, for lack of a less uh, pop culture phrase, toxic to my uh, overall being because right. it was this undefinable uh, force that I had put so much of my 
uh, identity into, despite mm. it not really being me. And despite it being kind of uh, a person who you couldn't just be around. Um, <laughs> you know, you, the, the Will Wood of 2017, uh, 2018, whatever, was not... Uh, uh, it's not a real guy, you know? <laughs> right. Um, you could just be buddies with him. And the same thing kind of goes for, you know, uh, some time after that, where I had to kind of slowly try and distinguish myself from this uh, person that I had created or become this persona I had cultivated. Um, and I don't feel like I really started to break free of that until a, a couple years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, but it but it definitely was something I had to kind of pull myself away from by force because it was, I think, at times, yes, you're correct, uh, a coping mechanism of sorts, um, a defense mechanism yeah, of sorts. Yeah, it's really interesting. So when you're like, let's say in, in 2016 or 2017, when you were really, you know, full on Daniel day Lewising it as, as it were, <laughs> um, like, like, does that when you're sitting down to write music on the creative side? does the character show up there? Is there like an expectation of like when you're actually writing music, you know, that's supposed to be separate from all this, you know, do you're like, would the character like this Would the character's fans like this? Like, does that become murky? Um, no, I, I can't say that I ever, uh, I, I've, I've always written from a pretty honest perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least as honest as I'm capable of being at the time. Right. Um, I'm not sure how self-aware I was in my early career. Um, you know, cause in my early career, I was freshly sober, barely getting any help, unmedicated, bipolar, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of all over the place psychologically. So I don't know, right. but, um, but the point is, uh, that no, I, I never wrote with the character in mind. The character was, um, was kind of instinctive. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, uh, how inconsistent the character was, was also kind of instinctive. Uh, um, okay. So if you'd look at like interviews from that period of time, you'd see in one of them, I'm very loud and over the top. And in another one, I'm like curled up into a little ball, barely talking. Yeah. yeah. Um, and both of those were instincts. Both, both sure. of them kind of happened automatically and were both means of uh, presenting and performing the material. Uh, but the material wasn't written for the character. The character was written for, uh, I guess, moment by moment for that particular show at that particular time in yeah. that particular setting. It was it was very fluid and very uh, very in- instinctive. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting too. I mean, it, it's like I wonder if uh, you know, like let's say David Bowie for instance, or something. You know, hmm. you're able to create this character, but he's such a a star. That you can, he's not going to his own merch table. You know what I mean? He's not like out mingling with the fans. Like he's this like, what is he? Did he come from another planet? Like did he, and there's no access to him whatsoever. Right. So, so that character can breathe a different kind of life. And you're right. Like, you know, um, that guy is great on stage, but do you want to like be like, oh, can I see a large? No, maybe a medium, <laughs> you know, like, like it's, it's strange. It's like a strange yeah. thing that if you come more from the DIY scene, yeah. cultivating that character might be like, it's so much more difficult. Oh, for sure. Um, 
you know, especially when you're also trying to have personal relationships with people you meet. <laughs> right, um, right. Like it's like, yeah, you kind of have to be like, a, like an hour after everybody's gone from the venue, just kind of be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Right, so anyway, right. hey, I'm Will. <laughs> yeah, you know, the few leftovers. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's have a beer now. Uh, it's really interesting. Did did your fans? Um, you know, I, I mean, they seem, you know, uber supportive of your career and your arc, which is great. Um, but do some people kind of seem to long for that version of you or they're really happy to go on the ride? I've, I've found that it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's not really fully one way or the other, you know? Yeah. Um, some people are always going to prefer, prefer any artist's earlier work. Um, yes. Some people aren't going to like some artist's earlier work. It's people like Brad. You know, the default, <laughs> the default is I like their first album the best, what? you know, like okay. maybe am I wrong? Sometimes, I wrong? but you know, <laughs> there's often, there's sometimes reasons for that. Sure. You well, know? yeah, absolutely. Sure. Well, um, I mean, I guess it's, you have the whole thing, right? You have your whole life to write your exactly. first album. Yeah. You know? Yep. Six yeah, months but, for each subsequent one. You know, I always hear that argument and I'm like, yeah, but most of the people I know started writing songs at like 12. Right. And may, maybe those aren't the ones that should be on the record, you know? Maybe yeah. you, maybe you grew a little. You know? well, that's a fair point. <laughs> but the other thing when you make your first record is that you know that you are a genius. And then after right. that, <laughs> <laughs> right. you yeah. start to question it. Yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. yeah you're Hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah, you're certain. Yeah. yeah. You're certain at that point. Mm-hmm. That's true. Good point, Brad. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was um, always, always, uh, always felt like the key to the amount of success I have experienced was deluding myself into thinking I was a, a you know, the, the greatest musician who ever walked the face of the earth until I was around 22. Yeah. yeah. You know, because as long as you tell yourself you're amazing while you're sucking, you're going to keep <laughs> thinking that, you know, yeah. you're going to eventually be like, oh, I'm not amazing, but yeah. I'm, I'm accomplishing the, the, I'm doing the job. You know what There's I mean? Part, I remember Robert Plant talking about that in an interview, you know, because Robert Plant in an interview is like, he's really understated, sweet kind of guy, the way he yeah. comes off, you know? But he was talking about being on stage and he's like, yeah, like I have to imagine Basically, I am the greatest piece of meat in the room. And I like, you know, like, like my ego is huge when I'm on stage and it has to be, you know, he has right. no other. I mean, he also stuck like salamis in his pants and stuff. <laughs> you know, have you ever gotten that far? No, I you don't ever, think I've stuck any salamis. Kosher salami in there. Yeah. Cause I no, did, maybe it would do me some good. I did see in a, I saw an old interview on William Patterson television, which for the yeah. Jersey folks, did a deep cut. Um, yeah. Did you go to William Patterson? I did. Nice. I it was a, one of many universities I had the pleasure of dropping out of. Oh, uh, okay. Did you, what did you do? Like a Montclair State, a Rowan? Did you, I never did Montclair, no. Um, <laughs> I was kind of all over the place. Did you get out of New Jersey for a while? Yeah. And, and where are you now, actually? I'm in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I live, in, uh, live in the Poconos area. Oh, nice. Right. We're close to each other. a pretty big area, but... Oh yeah, where are you? I'm like all the way out in West Jersey now by the Delaware River. So Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I lived there for uh for uh, a while up until uh, uh last year. Oh, nice. Yeah. Quite nice. It was in uh, Belvedere. Oh, okay. I know the turf. Look at that. You know, the Jersey Small thing. world. It's the Jersey yeah. thing. Um Yeah. I was surprised to find out 
that you said Green Day was your biggest musical influence at a time. You know, first CD, I, <laughs> along with Gwen Stefani. I love that Best Buy trip you made. But um, when when did I talk about that? Yeah, I go deep. I go deep. Jeez, I go yeah, deep. you must have. I, I don't remember that. I get on the YouTube's with like thirteen views, and I'm view fourteen. This is how I go, you know. But, okay. Yeah. Wow. Right on. I um. No, I would not say that Green Day is genuinely my my biggest influence. <laughs> okay. It was certainly one of my earliest influences. Um, and I, I always got a kick out of telling people how big of an influence Green Day has, has been on just me. Just like throw them off? Yeah, because it makes people's people just go like, what? And, um, right. you know, but there's, there's uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, there's no denying Billy Joe Armstrong's incredible melodic instinct. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'd say that, Listening to his melodies growing up was a huge influence on my abilities as a songwriter, for sure. Um, got to be up there know. at this point, right? I mean, you got to put Billy Joe in the pantheon of oh yeah, of great songwriters. Like I one hundred percent believe yeah. that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he wrote a prom song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You got that, one of those in you? You think? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's um. I uh, um. No, he's great, and um, I think um, I think he's overlooked because his he he does a punk rock project, and right. you know people don't think of punk rock projects as having singer songwriters. Um, I true. mean, you know, sometimes they do, but the point is, you know, people see Green Day and they think like, oh yeah, uh, all these other pop punk acts from the '90s, whatever. Right, um, right. And you know, I I see Billy Joe Armstrong as 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 a singer songwriter and a sure. really really incredible one. Uh, you listen to my stuff, obviously you're going to hear I don't write punk rock, so it's not right. like Green Day's my biggest influence. It would it would be insane to think that, but you can hear it in there. You can hear yeah. like some yeah, like like I listen to some of this stuff, and you you know certainly it's presented, I guess, and like, but in the same way, I. I thought there was a ton of punk in Gogo Bordello or World Inferno in those sure. shows. Like there's an energy, there's uh, big electric guitars, there's booming drums. It's if it's not punk rock, it's you know hard rock, and it's well, there's yeah. certainly more of that in my earlier work. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but uh, you know, um, I, I see that's that's interesting because I I really thought like uh, that it was totally buried. Um, which is why I thought it was so funny to tell people that. Um, <laughs> I think you, you got to go like maybe a step, a step pat. You got to go like yacht rock or something just to make it <laughs> be like, you know, I've really been a big Doobie Brothers person my whole life, you know, or something like yeah. that. That might throw people off. Um, my biggest influence. Um, I'm going to say slightly stupid. <laughs> yeah. 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 Insane clown posse. Maybe <laughs> yeah, just go yeah. straight for the big boys, you yeah. know, like, or maybe this could be part of your new character. Like, you know, the new guy that's been showing up is is a little more toned down. Maybe do that for like six months and then randomly at a show, just show up with ICP face paint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So that's something I need to tell you guys. I've been on, I, the, I've been on the chat rooms. <laughs> I'm a juggalo. I succumb to my social media. I, <laughs> I have a new account, ICP fan for life. Yeah. 420. 420. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I noticed on a, you know, you've been um, a vocal about, you know, going through bipolar disorder. I was raised by someone with bipolar disorder, so pretty intimate with it. And, uh, 
and that you're donating money to the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation, like through some of your new stuff. And I don't know, it seems as if we're on the cusp of cutting edge brain science. Like, what, what, what do, what's going on in that world? Like, anything interesting you and in, in, in that kind of world? Oh, um, well, geez. I, um, I mean, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't love to talk about the, the donating to charity stuff that much. Cause I, I don't want to like overstate it or draw attention to it. It, it is feels... in your press release. So you should tell you. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um, well, I mean, I guess we can, it's, we can I guess it's it good though. PR. Happy to skip it though. Seriously. Or we can just talk about like brain, like I was really just more using that as a uh, avenue to get into like talking about brain science. Cause I think it's interesting. I don't know that much about brain science. Okay. Um, I, uh, <laughs> Uh, a, a lot of people ask me if I do because I uh, make a lot of reference to it in a lot of my stuff. Mm. And the only reason I do that is because I find the subject interesting in general. Right. But I don't know really anything about it. Okay. Um, I, I, I find the subject of psychiatry and psychology to be very interesting subjects. Um, and it's something that I care about quite a bit. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not particularly knowledgeable when, uh, when it comes to like the hard science of it. Oh, okay. All, I, okay. I thought I didn't go to school for it. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it's a mapping of the genomes kind of stuff to tell me and stuff. I thought that would have been cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I, you, you'll notice, I think, uh, that I personally have never said that I have bipolar disorder. I've always said I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, oh, which I think is an important distinction. That's to make. interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, because I don't know if I fully subscribe to the worldview present in the social construct of psychiatry, yeah. which isn't me saying like, oh, it's not real. It's all in your head. Go for a jog, get a job and clean your room, you lazy millennial. <laughs> um, but rather it's saying, I think that it's an acknowledgement that at least to a certain extent, uh, the concept of mental illness is so thoroughly mired in subjectivity and so and owes so much of itself to social construct and to uh, behavioral relativism, mm. so to speak, yeah. that yeah. it's hard for me to commit fully to acknowledging a diagnosis from the DSM-5 as being comparable to a, you know, a true hard medical diagnosis. Yeah. Because clearly... Based on my experiences, there's something wrong. Something done went and broke. And uh, and I right. take my medicine every day. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I don't have my skepticism for the pharmaceutical industry and yeah. its influence not only on the very subject of the, the very study of psychology, but on public discourse surrounding it. Sure. Um, you know, the way people talk about destigmatizing mental illness right now is, I think, so thoroughly astroturfed by the pharmaceutical industry. Now, this is just mm. my belief. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there is evidence, uh, but um, it's mostly just a belief in the fact that uh, in our capitalistic society, uh, the billionaire class will always do whatever they possibly can to sell more product. And yeah. it, if they're not astroturfing public discourse via social media, they're idiots. They should be if they're trying to make money, right? <laughs> right, right, um, right, sure. So they're like almost them. certainly doing it. Hmm. And Now, what, um, do you, what do you mean by astroturfing it? Like, like... Uh like glossing it over or, or no, actually no, like feeding it, it. To, to, to sell more drugs? Feeding it to sell more drugs. Wow. Um, now, yeah. that, don't get me wrong. I think it's very important that we destigmatize psychiatric sure. illness. 
my belief is that there is very little actual legitimate movement to do that right now in our society, though. It's interesting. Yeah. I haven't thought of it like that. I think it's a really good point. I have a lot of very strong opinions about this subject. Um, and I, I think that they're confusing to people because I don't, because I'm not anti-psychiatry. Yeah. Um, but I'm also not pro-psychiatry. Sure. And I am very critical of the way we talk about mental illness in our society right now. Hmm. Um, pop culture's discussion about mental illness, I think, is just, uh, it's... It's bonkers. Um, and, I, and I think that it's actually doing an enormous disservice to the genuinely, truly, and severely psychiatrically disturbed. So and give, Ill. Me, give me an example of like a pop star or like something you've heard in the last couple months where you're like, ah, oh, geez, like that's not helping anyone. Like, like- well, I don't know much about pop stars, um, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I do know about what you see uh, influencers right. and the peddlers of infographics mm. and misinformation have yeah. to say. Right. I've seen the malingerers on TikTok and I've seen the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, oh, geez. Um, proliferation mm. of uh, really dangerous misinformation um, to the point where, I mean, even my therapist will, will tell me like, oh, you have no idea how often I have to tell somebody that something they read on TikTok isn't true. Oh, um, right. You know. Like and, it's causing like a real mental situation for someone and it wasn't even yes. yeah, legitimate in yeah. the first place. Yeah. I, I, and, I, and I think that, you know, um, I, I guess my, my, uh, my, I, it, I hear it. I hear a lot of misinformation uh, very often. Um, I think that one of the things that's super uh, harmful right now is this very clearly popular uh, perception of neurochemistry uh, uh, shared by especially youth culture and especially the chronically online youth culture. Mm. And that is that, um, oh, uh, I read a Wikipedia article that, said I have depression and therefore it must be I have a dopamine deficiency. And it's like, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. Um, right. You know, it's it's like, first of all, you know, I, I, I believe that self-diagnosis can be a useful tool towards addressing a problem, but it's not the same thing as a legitimate diagnosis. And second, the chemical imbalance theory has it's it's not only has it been disproven, it's never been proven in the first place because it's it's an it's a nonsense concept. It's no different from Hippocrates' notion of cambia, the uh, the uh, imbalance of humors leading to disease. Hmm. It's not a real thing. Wow. While we can acknowledge and we can see, it's been proven that the changing of how your chemistry and your brain works will alter your mood and behavior. That doesn't mean that we can say, oh yeah, you have, your brain isn't producing enough serotonin. It's like, what the fuck? No, that's not how it works. And that's really dangerous, I think, because nowadays people have just fully bought into the idea that, um, you know, I am inherently broken because my brain is uh, is just incapable of producing enough serotonin. Yeah. And therefore, uh, I need to go to a doctor. I need to get this SSRI, which could destroy me mentally. Yeah, yeah. Um, any number and, of things, yeah. Yeah, um, and that we don't know the long-term ramifications of on one's neurological health. Right. Um, and uh, I need that completely. And it certainly can't be that 
the world is actually a terrible place right now and I'm depressed for good reason, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. And I think that there are powerful people right now who are thrilled that we've convinced ourselves there's a depression epidemic and not there's a broken society. At yeah, hand. yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't question anybody's diagnosis. If somebody tells me that they have depression, that they've been diagnosed with depression, or just tells me they're depressed, I'm not going to deny it. Because sure. the truth of the matter is, is that you don't need a doctor's note to have your feelings be valid. Right. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> at the same time, it's not all psychiatric illness. We can't go around saying that everybody who is miserable in their life with good reason <laughs> right. or with because of or endogenic Ex- reasons. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, we can't be going around telling them they're all sick because they're not all sick. Yeah. And it's not only making it so that we can't address serious sociological problems and political problems. It's not only doing that, it's also doing a disservice to people who are severely psychiatrically ill and measurably improvably so. Because you see somebody saying, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia even sometimes. And you go, well, we don't know for sure because I've seen that 15-year-old on TikTok who says they have 500 anime character alters, you know? (laughs) And it's like, it's like, it's, it's destroyed. It's creating more stigma around mental illness. The yeah. current perversion of that movement right now, which is being, I think, uh, pushed by the pharmaceutical industries and the tech companies in order to increase engagement and in, in order to increase controversy and uh, um, use of the platform and also to increase the sales of uh, 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 neuropharmaceuticals. Um, I, I think that it's this, it's, Really doing an enormous disservice to the actual effort to destigmatize mental illness. Yeah, can see all it all makes perfect sense. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365 day returns. So in that, that being said, like, what are people, what are people looking for then? You know, like, like, I know, you know, they like to assume like we're trying to be happy. And I think it, at one point in more traditional societies, you know, when uh, in smaller civilizations, when people were, you know, typically under like a religious rule and there was no questions to how you were feeling or why it was happening. And now there's kind of this like, you know, modern, what the fuck is going on? There, There is no God there. Why do I feel like this? And I think people are like, looking for something and and these these pharmaceuticals and the social media are like bringing a place for that brain to receive some kind of numbing and comfort that something else used to do almost like a replacement or something i think that yeah i think there's some of that um you know i i i i want to be clear i'm not against uh medication i take my medication every day um i uh I, I, I don't want the, uh, the nuance in what I'm trying to say to get buried by the, uh, inflammatory nature of my delivery. <laughs> well, I, I understand it at least. And, and just to reaffirm what you said before, I agree. And I do think hmm. that it's, it's, it's scary, uh, when you start to think of the, the umbrella terms and how quickly people can think they're really sick. And if you've ever seen really sick people, you know, like I've yeah. been in the psych ward of a hospital and seen what it looks like when people have depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, OCD, you know, like these things that people toss around. Like, yeah. oh, I hate when there's piss on my toilet. I have OCD. No, 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 you don't. If you had OCD, <laughs> you would have thrown away everything in your bathroom. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and like hit it and watch, you know, like some crazy shit. No, mental illness is 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 not the quirk that people make it out to exactly. be. Exactly, yeah. And I just never, I had never thought of it in the context that, because, you know, I'm a big sports fan even, and there's been this uh, um, rush in the last few years of athletes who used to have to be, you know, super macho and bottled up to be like, no, like I'm depressed. This is the reason I'm not playing. And, and you see it being championed, and I never thought of it as, as anything but a positive thing, you know, until... Um, it can be manipulated. It, it can. Yes, I think it is manipulated and it can be negative. That isn't to say that there aren't positives. Of course. Um, you know, I I simply like to speak about the negatives because people aren't speaking about them. Right. Um, people aren't criticizing the movement as it currently stands and therefore the movement can't progress because I think yeah. that the very backbone of being progressive and trying to be a progressive person, I don't consider myself progressive because I think that's a compliment you give someone, not something you <laughs> call yourself. Um, yeah. uh, but I try to be progressive. I try to think about things in a way that is geared towards progress. And in order to be progressive in any situation, you have to constantly be criticizing how things are. And that includes criticizing yeah. the progressive side. And yes. so, um, especially to pat themselves on the back, I am progressive, I am progressive. Um, <laughs> right. So, um, you know, uh, so I, I, I merely want to be critical of the elements that I don't think people are critical enough of. I do believe that it's a net positive that people are talking about their feelings and talking yeah. about a certain amount of mental illness. I think that there's a lot of negative side effects that may risk outweighing the good. Um, and I also think are uh, 
moving uh, the goalposts a little bit and making it so it's harder for us to stay on topic and on target with our actual movement. Yeah. Um, because the truth of the matter is that nobody hates crazy people more than the people who go around claiming, you know, I'm destigmatizing <laughs> mental illness. The second they hear about somebody acting crazy or doing something shitty because they're mentally unstable, they're like, grab your torches and pitchforks. Let's make sure this person <laughs> yeah. kills themselves. Yeah, you know? right, right, um, right, right. So like, you know, I think it's important to criticize it, but I think that, yes, I, I also think there's a, there's a significant positive. I think the idea that uh, athletes, especially ones who are uh, expected to be macho and take up the mantle of the ultra-masculine side of the male gender role, uh, ex expressing their feelings, I think that's a, a beautiful and incredible thing. And I think it's something that needs to be done more. I don't know if it needs to be done in the context of clinical speak, but the problem right. is right now, because of how the movement is working, people aren't listened to unless they use clinical speak, which I think kind of goes uh, back to what you were asking. I do yeah. think that to a certain extent, what people are seeking is validation. We live yes. in a society that has no interest whatsoever in validating the uh, the genuinely crushing parts of the human condition itself, yeah. sick or otherwise, the breadth of human emotion is immense and you don't, don't have people to people just Ill. want to be listened to right right exactly <laughs> but yeah. nobody wants to listen to you right unless yeah, you are the... saying i am i have depression <laughs> right instead right, of right. i feel depressed yeah the only way to get someone to listen to me is to yeah right yeah no, you need the doctor's note it's true and, yeah it's true and you so, just needed a friend maybe right and and so like <laughs> like i think that's kind of uh, to a certain extent, what people are seeking um, yeah. is validation. And to a certain sure. extent, what people are seeking is genuine social justice. Um, mm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there's no element and there's no genuine movement to destigmatize mental illness, but uh, it's certainly deeply flawed and a lot less focused and less present and conscious than I think a lot of people who believe themselves to be championing the championing the the cause would claim. Sure. Um, and even on a purely like physiological level, it's science mm. and it changes, right? You know, like like the DSM four is different than the DSM five. Yeah, you know, like like what you were, you know, the traits to be this in that book are different than they are now after, you know you know, uh, years and years of, of speaking and communicating and figuring out what the heck is going on. So, you know, I, anything like just being completely black and white like that, you know, it, it deserves, it all deserves critical thought. The one thing that scares me about, maybe you can help me with this because mm -hmm. I just was uh, listening to an interview about the new George Carlin documentary. Uh -huh. And, you know, that was someone who, like you was was critical you know critical of everything everything needed a critical eye and even something good there was something bad behind something bad there's something good behind and you know like always looking for that avenue in, inside of humanity mm -hmm. and they brought up the fact that like towards the end of his life and you could hear it in his stand up he was bitter you yeah. know and and maybe resentful and kind of that like jesus like i put all my hope in people and they've just disappointed <laughs> me right to the end of my life. And it's really similar to what happened to Vonnegut. Right. You know, like like Vonnegut kind of read the same way at the end of his life, which is like, fuck, like, 
I thought it was going to get better by now. I put my stake in like humanity and people and I thought it was going to be better. And like, so, so there's another aspect of it I want to see past. And I guess I'm asking if you ever get to like a spiritual side, a paranormal side, like anything that helps you work through this world we're in, like past, you know, the black and white. Well, I think that I've always held that within every cynic is a wounded idealist. Um, And that that's ultimately what all cynicism is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's idealism trying to express itself um, and uh, express its pain. Um, It's, it's a, it's an aggressive uh, loss of innocence. Um, And so I, 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 I don't know. I, I can't say that I um, have a very active spiritual side. Um, not anymore. There was a time where certainly I did. Um, you know, my, my religion of sorts was kind of, was more, uh, was, was kind of like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like 60s psychedelia, that kind of religion, you know, where it's yeah, like vague yeah. Eastern shit, man. Right, right. Um, the, the religion of Timothy Leary. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've always, uh, you know, and I'll still listen to Alan Watts lectures. Um, sure. And uh, uh, you're a fan? Yeah. It's yeah. so much fun. Yeah. Um, so I, it's not like I have no spiritual side at all, but it's hard to focus on that sometimes because, mm. you know, while it can be comforting, it's also like you kind of have to walk the middle path. And I think that's kind of something that, you know, Alan Watts would have said is that you have to, you know, both uh, live in, uh, you have to both exist in a way that acknowledges the unreality of it all um, and that acknowledges spiritual truth that you may have uncovered through contemplation or experience, um, but also live in reality as it's presented to you. You have to still participate a little bit. Yeah. And you have to find a way to participate without putting all your eggs in that basket. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to commit to reality. And it's like, how many eggs do I put in? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, and it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to not emotionally invest in the, the corporeal world, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's part of the game and it's kind of like, as they say, you have to learn to suffer well, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I hope that over the course of my life, I get better at suffering. Um, and, uh, because I think that there's a good chance that much like Vonnegut and Carlin, uh, I, I will end up being disappointed by the world. Uh, I hope yeah, not. Um, I know. And I'm I hope that you won't too. either. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. Like, listen, I'm reaching for straws. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm asking people I met 45 minutes ago if, if they have any tricks. You know? <laughs> 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 like, like, we're working on it here, you know? I'm, I'm trying. But I think it's, um, you know, it's all an effort. It's like, it's like, I think you just hit this point in your life where you're like, okay, I've found what I believe to be the truth, uh-huh. but ha- now moving on. Like, I think when you're young, you thought like finding what version of the truth was the actual goal. But now that I get older, it's not just finding it, it's be- becoming okay with it. And right. still finding some fucking joy in your life at the same time. I guess that's the balance, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, um, yeah. yeah. So what kind of headspace, like, you know, I'm listening to these new songs and, um, you know, what, what's your songwriting process like at home? Like, uh, where does an idea spark? How do you get it down? Are you sparked like in the house, out of the house? Do you have to like sit down to work? Do you get a hike? It, it varies quite a bit. Um, you know, every song seems to come from kind of a different place. Over the years, it's gone from less of a uh, uh, hypomanic sort of explosion of creativity and mm. more to a sort of um, a more intellectualized process that uh, involves more work and more discipline. Um, and so sometimes, sometimes it can start with a spark. Um, sometimes it can start with, uh, an unbearable emotion that I have to do something with. Um, and other times it can be ideas and thoughts and things I'd like to say that mm -hmm. then I try my best to figure out a way to deliver it musically. Um, so it varies quite a bit. So like, for instance, uh, one of my more recent tracks, Tomcat Disposables, which was kind of like the lead single of sorts, mm -hmm. uh, for my upcoming album in case I make it, um, that that one came from uh, an intolerable emotional experience where I uh, felt such guilt for trapping this mouse that I had found in my kitchen and developed an affinity for uh, because I was afraid of the spread of disease um, mm -hmm. that I sat down with uh, my ukulele and started to, you know, pour this thing out. And the whole goal while I was writing it was, what do I say next that will make me cry the hardest? <laughs> um, and that was, that was truly the process for a couple of songs on this record. It was, you know, it wasn't, what's the cleverest thing I can say next? How many rhymes can I jam into this sentence? Um, but what will make me cry to say? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that was the whole process for that song. And so, but that's a very different process from, say, uh, a song, um, I'm just trying to think of another song on the upcoming record. Uh, another song on in case, on, in case I make it is, uh, Cicada Days. Cicada Days, which just came out today. Um, yeah. uh, let me think. Um, oh, that process was very different. The original process was, uh, I took on this challenge to try and write a song a day for a whole month back in oh, 2019. Cool. And it didn't pan out because that's insane. How but, many days did you make it? Um, I would say, I wrote 15 new songs. It's um, pretty good for a month. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, that's, um, that's only, strong. Only a couple of them ended up going anywhere. And okay. uh, Cicada Days was one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, I sat down and said, I need to write today. Um, and I'm going to write about this thing that I've been going through. And the kind of... Uh, what's I think now would be considered like the whole, uh, the, the big moment of the song that I think people are, are uh, talking about the most, um, that big finale at the end that kind of comes as, as a surprise. Right. Um, I, I, that didn't come to mind until I was doing the demo for the song. Uh, Cause I'd only written a verse and a chorus and then a verse and a chorus. And I was like, that's enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I was like, but there's more I wish I could say here. And then I just started messing around in Pro Tools and I went, oh, what if I took a really big risk here and did another chorus with totally different lyrics and just mm. destroyed it with noise? 
And, you know, so sometimes it comes from experimentation. Sometimes it comes from sitting down and really thinking. uh, And sometimes it comes from, I need to get this out. How do I make myself cry? You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And what's the barometer for you? Like when you're working that you really know you're onto something or you need to let it go? Um, huh. I guess it's whether or not I still want to do it the next day. Ah, um, yeah, sure. You know, uh, I'll have songs where I start writing it and the next day I'm like, I'm no longer interested. I don't want to pursue this any further. I don't feel yeah. good about it. Yeah. And then there'll be songs where I can't stop, you know, and that's rarer, but, uh, and there'll be some songs where a, a melody will be in my head for months or a lyric will be in my head for months. And I'll be like, okay, so clearly this, this needs to happen. And then I'll, and then I'll right. sit down and think about it for hours. It's like you know? bother. It's like, it's bothering you to get, to get on the track. Yeah. 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 And so. uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's cool, man. And, and lyrically, like, um, you know, how do you, how do you mix it melodically? Is it, is it always lyrics first or do you sometimes hear a melody that you, you have to fit something into? Uh, I find that it all kind of happens at once, usually. Yeah. Um, sometimes if it doesn't happen all at once, it doesn't happen at all. Um, but it does vary. A lot of times I'll have uh, placeholder lyrics that I'll then replace later on. Um, you know, just so that I can keep writing the music. Um and uh, sometimes it'll just take a long time for all the lyrics to come together. I'd say the lyrics are done last. Okay. Because uh, oftentimes I'll keep adjusting lyrics until the day that I'm recording the vocals. Hmm. Um, oh, really? Yeah. That, that long until, huh? Yeah. Um, sometimes. Not always. Um, that sounds scary. Because then if it winds up in a record and you think about the one two days before, you're like, <laughs> well, is that the one? <laughs> only if I really like it enough, you know? Right, right. Um, but, uh, you know, I've also had songs where I wrote lyrics in studio that day, um, like completely from the ground up. Or at least uh, I have a song where I did that, uh, a, a song I did for a soundtrack uh, called Your Body, My Temple. Um People will tell you, this sounds rushed. I think that's the main criticism it gets. And it's like, yeah, I wrote it uh, in the hours, you know, the lyrics. Right. I wrote them in the hours before recording them. Sure, um, sure. You know, uh, but also it was, you know, I was going for rushed. So hopefully it sounds rushed in a good way. Um, oh. <laughs> but <laughs> I think so. I think uh, who knows? Um, yeah, yeah. That was like uh, part of this, you know, um, new approach is 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 some of it just sheerly like I need to do something right now that doesn't require other people, other instruments, like too much stuff. Like like is is there just like a you know a simple element that I just I need to get these songs done, and because of COVID and you know ha- having a hard time, I need this independence to just like get it out there. Um, oh, I'm not uh, the independence element. I'm not. I guess I'm not sure entirely what you mean. Well, I guess I when I hear a couple of your new songs, they seem like they'd be much easier to deliver, you know, live by yourself. Uh, mm. they, they, you know, they're easier to put on the record by yourself without, you know, bringing them to the whole band and and getting like a full band thing together. So I um, guess I meant it that way. If it if if it uh, you felt a little more independent, or it's just always feels that way for you. Uh, I'm not sure. Um... I guess uh, 
Hmm. I think, I think that to a certain extent, um, this, this, this record certainly the most, the most solo of all of my solo records, right. you know, um, I, I've always written all of my own songs, of course, and I've always led the band, but there have been certainly more collaborative elements in the past than there is on, on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like for instance, there'll be like leads that an instrument plays that uh, are on the normal album that it's like, well, I didn't write that part note by note. Um, right. I told, uh, Mike, hey, uh, you should totally rip the guitar here. Give me some like, and he'll be like, all right, yeah, let me let me see what I can throw together, you know. Cool. Um, And uh, you know, there's a there's a lot less of that on this record um, because I wrote so much of it and then demoed a lot of it over the course of the the height of the pandemic. Um, You know the. uh, and I also learned after doing that score recently a lot of how to really compose something note by note. And so all the orchestration mm. on this record is a lot more note by note. Um, oh, okay. The, cool. uh, so, you know, I can't read or write music, but using MIDI, I'm able to basically be a composer. Um, uh, thankfully, cause the, cause my Wikipedia once again has, it has all kinds of ideas about who I am. Um, and, uh, <laughs> It has, uh, has called me a composer for a while now. And, uh, and you know, it's a strong word for what I do <laughs> seeing as I'm illiterate, but, um, you know, I, uh, now I can not, feel like I am self-declared composer. Yeah. But now yeah. I feel like I can kind of consider myself at least somewhat of a composer. Cause, uh, for this record, I've got a whole string section and a whole choir that I was able to compose right. note by note. And so a lot wow. more of it is, yeah, very much my own composition note by note. And that includes, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, even the instrumentation that otherwise would have been much more collaborative on previous releases. Um, you know, uh, Mike still has a ripping solo on one of these songs that is his own composition. But, Sweet. Um, you know, uh, you know, ultimately this one, uh, it, it might feel like it's more independent because it is more, it is the most creative control I've been able to exercise over a piece of music. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It seemed before. like that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so let's say in the next six months, like, you know, one of these songs is just gets big and all of a sudden you have endless amount of money and resources and you can do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Um, uh, uh, travel, um, buy a house. Um, I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to be, uh, taking a long break after this next record. Um, okay. the, uh, I'm, 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 I'll do a little bit of touring after it's out, but then after that, sure. I, I, I'm, I'm ducking out for quite some time, I think. Um, okay. you know, it's just, uh, this, this, uh, this line of work can be extremely taxing psychologically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, um, and so like the, um, uh, it's just, it's, uh, I, I, for the sake of my mental health, I need to take a long, a long break. Um, and I, I haven't officially announced it yet, but basically my plan is to, uh, 
take uh, some serious time off and not be Will Wood in any uh, uh, in any way for quite some time. Um, it might be a year, it might be five years, it might be the rest of my life. Um, I, I really don't know. So if one of these songs takes off and I have unlimited money and resources, I'll probably, you know, just... Peace out. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> ETFs, mutual funds, yeah. you know, save yeah. up. Um, yeah, yeah, put yeah. it in my 401k. You know, it's like um, <laughs> the Willwood offshore account is the only thing we can find on Google. <laughs> yeah, he's gone, but the money's still there. Yeah, I love this. Well, that's that's mysterious and intriguing, and uh, I hope w- wherever that path takes you is 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 filled with good things for you. Oh, I thank do. you very much. Do you have a? I know you can't put it on wax, but do you have like a new name? Like sort it out. Oh, uh, a, a new name? Like if you're gonna go, not be Will Wood. Oh well, Will Wood's not my real name. Oh. So, <laughs> so yeah, that would. Be I, I do have a name picked out. Well, name it was picked t- out for me by my parents when I was born. <laughs> yes. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So dropping that. So back to the OG. Back to the OG. the OG. Yeah, it's been a long time, and yeah. so um, it's. Uh, I'm gonna have to get used to going by my family name again. Um, sure. Is there a part of the world that you that you eye that you've never been to that you're kind of fascinated by? Um, I mean, I one of the things I love about touring is the travel. Uh, yeah. I, I the last tour I just went on um, it was the biggest tour I'd ever been on, and uh, uh, I, I, I even just Chicago is so alien to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just walking around the more suburban areas of downtown Chicago, it's just like, what the fuck? This is a different (laughs) planet. And Mm -hmm. so you can imagine how freaked out I was by the French Quarter when we went through uh, New Orleans. And so it's just like, you know, there's so much world for me to see that I I, I don't know. There's so much of America that I think would be fascinating to see. Um, And... But I'll get, I, I might get my full, full of that on my next tour. Who knows? So um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I feel uh, like there's a lot of little nooks and crannies of America that you, you cannot see on tour. Yeah, you know? that's so true. You see a lot because, of... Uh, yeah, you're tied to cities, you're tied to coasts. Yeah. And, you know, there's a whole lot of this place. Like, like most of the touring musicians I know have been to like 45 states. Right. Because they're all missing the Dakotas and Wyoming and Montana because there's never, right. they never drove through there. You know? Yeah. And yeah. for the most part, you know, you're on tour. It's like, wow, you're going to see the world. And it's like, yep, I'm going to see the inside of a right. lot of pilots. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, but uh, how was Berlin? Well, the toilet was tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that being said, um, you know, uh, I do occasionally get a little bit of a chance to adventure on tour and, and that I look forward to. But uh, one of my brothers uh, is a really big traveler. And um, basically he told me, listen, if you're a coward, just go to Europe. And I'm like, okay, so I think I'll go to Europe. <laughs> I mean, he's right. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's, the, it's the least, besides for like Australia, it's probably like the least culture shock. I, I Yeah, I, he... Um, he, uh, when he went to Thailand, apparently he had a whole, uh, a, a terrifying experience. The, uh, the, there was like an issue with uh, the girls in his camp almost getting kidnapped and, uh, sex trafficking thing. And it's wow. like Christ, you know? Um, and, uh, cause he was over there doing volunteer work. Wow. Um, and so he was in some, 
uh, very troubled areas. And so, uh, shit got scary. Um, and, uh, you know, um, he was, uh, his, he's told me some stories about his adventures all over the world where I'm just like, God damn that I could not do it. I don't know how you do it. He's like Hemingway, man. Yeah, um, it's pretty. Don't you like, I'm the same way. I've traveled so much with, with being a musician. I've done all this stuff, but I'm just filled with anxiety about like yeah. all of these places. Oh, and yeah. I'm always, I'm so jealous of the people who are just like, yeah, I'm going here. And, and I have no guilt or anxiety about it at all. I, good, yeah. Good for you. Oh, dude. I, um, <laughs> fucking, there are places in America I'm afraid to go. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't mean just like the heart of St. Louis. I mean like Albany. I don't like it. You know, it's like oh, five minutes outside of Albany is maybe scarier than St. Louis. Is it really? Well, in a different way, right? You know, in yeah. in where Brad grew up, kind of way, <laughs> which is more like <laughs> yeah, right, Brad. Whatever you say, out in the farms, <laughs> in the corn stalks, guy. It's me. It's you. Um, so I know one, one I've heard a couple people talk about uh, recently, like, you know, the decision to get into therapy is one thing, but finding someone you trust and somewhere to go that you actually feel comfortable seems to be like the biggest uh, block for some people. And, you know, as you mentioned, you have a, you know, a blanket, you know, distrust, I guess, for like getting into the system that you're in. Um, so, so what would you recommend to somebody who's never gone, uh, like going for the first time? What, what, what should they look for in like a therapist or something to be able to, you know, get into the process the, 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 the proper way? That's tough. Um, um, wow. That's really tough. Uh, I, I would usually avoid an older person because uh, mm. a lot of them, well, they went, they got their psychology degree while they were still doing lobotomies. It's so, DSM too. You know, like, right. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, let's, yeah. Uh, you know, like I, I had a, I had a therapist once um, who, who has passed away since because he was like 80 when I was going to see him, wow. um, who was known as the author of a book called Life Ain't for Sissies. And, oh, no. <laughs> and, you know, he was a really nice guy, but sure, that book sure. is, you know, that's, that's a rough name for a book yeah. Um, yeah. for a therapist to write. Um, and look, it was tough love, you know, but it was, it was, it was seventies tough, tough love. You know? Dr. Sugarman, huh? I, uh, well, I wasn't going to say his name, but yeah. Doesn't that sound more like the name of a pimp than a doctor? Yeah. Come to Sugarman. Dr. Sugarman. Yeah, yeah. The Sugarman got you. Who's yeah. your daddy and how's your relationship with him? <laughs> yeah. So so avoid avoid old people who yeah, came from a different maybe. school of thought, perhaps. Maybe. I mean, I, don't I could know. see it. Maybe that would but work for you. I don't know. But I could see it anyway. I mean, if you're 18 years old, your world is so much different than yeah. like a 70 year old person. Just the, I mean, they start talking, you know, about uh, an issue they had on social media or something. And, right. and an older person would discount it as uh, you know, Oh, this is like totally illegitimate and artificial. Like you shouldn't even worry about that, but like it or not, like a teenager fucking worries about that. You right. know, like that's the new thing to worry about. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do think that, um, 
I, I do think that that's something that does need to be worked on, though, um, is, uh, is, is reminding young people that social media is not real uh, right. because it feels real. And mm. it can in- invade your real life. But people who believe social media to be real end up getting really messed up by it psychologically. Mm. Um, you know, there's like, I mean, there's been articles about it, about people developing tick disorders after using TikTok. Um, you know, and I believe personally that uh, platforms like that are very much designed with an express intent to harm your psych- psychological health. Um and I don't mean that as like a conspiracy, like it's malicious and it wants to hurt you. I mean that they make more money when you're unstable and therefore they're going to do whatever they can to keep you unstable. And because um, when you're unstable, you're on there more. Right. And you do right. things like form cancel mobs and fight mm-hmm. over every little thing or, you know, uh, participate in insane political discourse or, you know, right. uh, find yourself in echo chambers that end up with you turning into an incel or turning into <laughs> yeah. any of these other weird niche communities that are like wildly abusive and all that stuff. Um, you know, that stuff is done on purpose. And so I think that something we need to be talking about to young people right now is no, you can get off of social media. And not only that, but you have to, um, because it is the worst thing you could do for your mental health at that age, short of like, I don't know, drugs. Um, you know, uh, I, I would, I would almost rather see, like if I had a kid, uh, if I had a 15 year old kid and I had to choose between walking in on him, uh, drinking vodka and walking in on him using TikTok. I'd go with the vodka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brad, where are you at with that? Oh, yeah, that's... You got social media... Is social media going on in your house Yeah, yet? I've got a 14-year-old. She's she's on it. Woof. She's smart about it, but still, she's it's addicting and she knows it. She says she said to me, take my phone away from me. <laughs> right. And, you, and then you gotta. You gotta, man. I mean, if she knows it, you know. Well, I mean, look, mean, I'm not going to tell you how to parent. Yeah. She doesn't mean per- permanently, but, you know, like, take it away right. now so I can do my fucking homework. Yeah. Well, that's the right. one thing I hope for is, like, an overcorrection. I feel like our generation was so, like... You know, I was raised without the internet in my home. Right. And then sometime at the beginning of high school, I got the internet in my home. Like I'm from the generation who had the before and after. And I think we have a a sense of it. There is a hope I have trying to be optimistic that the new generation actually realizes what it is. Some people, you know, and, and like, like, like Brad's daughter's ability to be like, Jesus, like get this fucking thing away from me so I can do something real. Like maybe that came with the fact that like life just came with social media to them. Yeah. I think that, I think that it we're it's, it's tough because these apps are quite literally mind control devices. And, um, and that's, that is entirely, yeah, that's entirely solely what they're designed to do is control Mm -hmm. you. I mean, that's the only reason they exist is to control you. Right. In a way. Yeah. You know, know, um, the fact that there is a for you page and they they call Mm -hmm. it for you. It's like, dude, look at it. It says for you. It says (laughs) we picked this for you. Yeah. You know, um, based on what you like, based yeah. on what we want you to do. Right. Because right, they'd right. be idiots not to do it that way. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Astroturfing mm-hmm. discourse is like, you know, of course, yeah, these, these platforms yeah. would be morons to not 
use the data that they collect on you constantly in order to manipulate you. Why would they not? Um, And so, you know, that's just my opinion. It's just my belief. I haven't seen how the algorithms work personally. I I am not a programmer and I can't prove it, but I think it would be stupid if it weren't true. Um, And uh, I think uh, assuming otherwise is is silly. Um, uh, Trusting these companies is a very, very silly thing to do. And yet, People, especially young people, so implicitly trust these companies and they don't even know they trust them. They mm. think they don't trust them. They think, right. oh yeah, down with all of the all of the big corporations. And yet they keep using the devices and acting on these corporations' behalf. And mm. they don't realize it, but you but a lot of people who participate in online discourse are employees of the platform that they're doing it on. And they don't even know it. They're working yeah. on behalf of the billionaire class. Every time. You form a little online lynch mob. You form a big argument on the internet. Guess what? Guess who you're working for? Guess which boot you're licking? You know? It's like, dude, you're licking a boot right now. You don't know it, but you're licking a boot. And and you think that you're a rebel. You think that you're... you know, that you're going against some grain. You think that you're changing the world for the better. It's like, my God, dude, you are doing the dirty work of a major corporation right yeah. now uh, by participating in this nonsense. And so like, you know, um, and, and, and so that scares me a lot because young people uh, who are supposed to be the ones who are the most critical of the status quo and the most critical of corporate influence on our culture have just not picked up on how social media works and how these companies ultimately have complete control over all sociopolitical discourse right now, complete control. And so it's, and it's like, good Lord, you're going to participate in that stuff and really think that, you know, that, that you're not working for somebody else. Don't get me wrong. Social media isn't without its plus side. Um, instant global communication has yeah, allowed yeah. some wonderful things to happen mm-hmm. and has allowed some progress that wouldn't have otherwise occurred. I would never say otherwise. But the truth of the matter is that these platforms exist to hurt you. They exist <laughs> to do things to you that are harmful inherently. Um, and so uh, the people who, you know... Uh, you know, rush to the defense of their precious apps. It's not even the phone. People will constantly misrepresent me as being this, like, oh, those kids and their pesky iPhones, uh, like, you know, think that I'm I'm like a baby boomer telling them to put their Game Boy away at the dinner table. <laughs> it's like, no, you, no, I'm saying that the mind control apps are bad. That's not that crazy. Right. right, You know, I have a phone. It's good to text people sometimes. I speak to people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's not the phones. It's not the phones. It's what you're doing with them. It's it's these apps and these companies who are uh, so thoroughly taking advantage of and manipulating young and impressionable minds. And they think that they're the they're the fucking rebels. And I'm just like, oh, my God, please. (laughs) You know, uh, left and right. You know, sure. and center, all of you. You know, the important well, thing is that I figured out a way to be a, above everyone. <laughs> <laughs> just the perfect, just like Robert Plant. Yeah. When when did you like, because you used to be like, like, did you always know there was an inherent problem or did something happen on there where you're like, oh shit, like this place is fucked? Uh, the pandemic is okay. what proved it to me. Um, because that's when things started to transform further. You know, it was always insidious. Social media platforms were always evil and creepy and insidious and invasive and violating. 
And social media culture had always been fucked up and weird. Sure. Um, But during the pandemic, when everybody was inside at all times and the only interactions they had were uh, on social media, I saw people's worldviews and personalities warp more severely than ever before. Like people you knew. Yeah, people I knew um, would would treat me poorly on behalf of a worldview that was given to them by Twitter. (laughs) Um, You know, people who I respected would suddenly have these ideas and these opinions that I couldn't possibly stand behind and I thought were insane and uh, and I knew where they came from and how they had been convinced to believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I saw, uh, we all saw society collapse, you know? And it's like, yeah. and it wasn't just because of the pandemic. It was because of how these companies took advantage of it. Yeah. Um, and it is not really that crazy that the ruling class made more money than ever oh, during loaded. the pandemic. Of loaded. course they did. Of course they did. They had complete control of us then more than ever, yeah. you know? And this isn't me saying that it's a conspiracy. This isn't me saying that it's all just designed to keep you indoors, to control you, man. But, um, you know, the truth of the matter is that these people made more money than ever over the height of the pandemic. Oh yeah. Well, that's just human history. That that's like at any point in human history when when one group is suffering, the group who has more is doing significantly better. The rich get richer, <laughs> the poor get poorer. Yeah. Um and I guess like I, I and I and I saw that and I'm like they're in control. They're manipulating this whole thing. Not not mm. the pandemic itself. I mean online discourse. I mean people falling apart, people's psychiatric health going down the tubes, the misinformation, the constant bickering and canceling one another. Yeah. Um, the uh, you know all that shit um, was I think a very active effort by these companies. Um, this is my opinion. Um, my attorney has advised me to uh, stop <laughs> <laughs> to shut up, but. Um, uh, you know. As your attorney, I advise you to get a very fast car with no time. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yep. And then, and then my attorney advised me to eat my half of the sunshine acid uh, <laughs> and that I'd be lucky uh, to, you know, get there before I turn into a goddamn right. wild animal. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know. Um, well, one thing I wonder about that, just to, not, not to challenge you, it's just a, a real curiosity is like... Sure. You know the one the one band I can think of is Rage Against the Machine. I remember when that band was young, early on. You know they kind of came out of the hardcore scene, and at first it was like, "How the fuck can a band who's singing this be on a major label? You're fucking hypocrites!" Uh-huh. You know. And I realize now over the long course that at fourteen, you know, staring at a um, a Buddhist monk lighting himself on fire and you know, reading lyrics about Leonard Peltier and, you know, the the Black Panthers and, and things like this. Like, it really, like, I was a 14-year-old kid watching MTV and all mm-hmm. of a sudden I had this information. And I think they might have shaped my, you know, some of my political thought almost as much as, like, the punk rock bands I loved. Mm-hmm. So in in that sense, I hear you talking about social media and I've heard you make some really you know, smart and pretty impassioned, please. And I wonder, like, is that best put to use by more people hearing it, which would sadly have to involve maybe social media? Well, I have somebody to run an Instagram on my behalf. 
I okay. don't personally look at it. I don't touch it. I don't have a TikTok. I don't have a Twitter. Uh, but I do have somebody who posts Insta- to Instagram on my behalf. Um, so you just send content and goes yeah. up. I won't. I wouldn't. I I couldn't dare look at the thing for more than a couple hours at a time. Uh, yeah. When I went on tour, we temporarily had a little Instagram account. Um, uh, me and the crew. And uh, I, I I looked at it a bunch, and I was just like, I can't do this. This is making me miserable. I hate it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so I don't use social media. I have somebody who uses it for me, and therefore I have a little bit of a platform. Um, but you know, uh, ultimately, there's only so much I can do. Um, yeah. Hopefully, people will uh, share the message on my behalf. It would be necessary to for that to happen anyway because i only have so many followers on my social media platforms anyway um right. so ultimately it really does have to be word of mouth um and also you know platforms like the one that you've been kind enough to give me today um you know it's like uh um you know i i just do what i can um i wouldn't go on i wouldn't make a tiktok account to uh, take a selfie or do a dance claiming, you know, uh, I hate TikTok. Here's why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, that would feel like a betrayal of my values. Um, sure. I, uh, I would understand that there can be, uh, uh, the sacrifices and compromises sometimes need to be made for the greater good. And, uh, but, uh, I'm hoping that my um, that my beliefs and my uh, that my position spreads through other means. Here's hoping yeah. they uh, I don't know. Here's hoping just I don't know, man. Spotify gets me enough <laughs> listens where people just go looking for it and find it. Yeah, you know, uh, it's like and I and I have uh, you know interviews and stuff that I've done on my website. Sure. So you could read what I have to say on there. Um, you know, I'm not anti-internet. I don't like the internet, but I'm not against <laughs> it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just social media platforms as they currently exist, I think are, you know, the devil. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean that there couldn't be a social media platform that isn't the devil. Um, I hope that someday a social media platform can exist that uh, is not designed for the sole purpose of manipulating and harming people. Well, Elon um, Musk will probably fix that for us, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 He's the guy who'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he'll, he's the man who'll bring everyone together, right? Yeah. Famously yeah. responsible man, Elon right. Musk. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 It'll all be fine. It'll sure. all be fine. Now, now yeah. I, think it, I think it's cool. I do. And I think that, you know, if you were blasting out on social media about social media, it's a little strange, inherently strange. Um, you people know, wouldn't be want, people wouldn't no, want to listen to it. No. And, and, you know, I think, you know, the, the one song that you made, you know, um, which is the, it's not the Siri voice talking to me, which voice is it talking to me? Oh, that's the, the TikTok voice. Yeah. The TikTok voice. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I thought the best, the best part of that song was like this idea that you're 280 followers, you know, is like is changing the world here, you know? <laughs> um, um, so I did, I think with, you know, almost the way you're presenting it and the way you're doing it, it I think it, it begs more authenticity and, and legitimacy to what you're trying to say. So 
Uh, I asked that out of sheer curiosity, not for you to actually do it. Um, yeah, I um, look uh, when when that track drops. I don't I don't know when when this interview will release, but if it's uh, if it releases after June sixth, when that track is slated to drop, um, when that track dropped, um, <laughs> uh, when it drops, we we plan to uh, my social media manager and I plan to do a whole revamp of my social media. Uh, uh, platforms as they currently are, um, just to alter them so that they're no longer participating in any way. Uh, um, cool. so, yeah. um, I'm not sure exactly how we're going to be doing it, but, uh, you know, probably just turning the Instagram into something that's very clearly just a bulletin board. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it already still really just is a bulletin board. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what we plan on doing, but the point is, uh, I still have to, I'm unfortunately going to have to have my guy uh, post that, the music video for that track on <laughs> right. Instagram. Right, but, right. you know, I'm not using it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's really the point is that I'm not using it because the reason I think it's bad isn't, oh, it's just randomly, meaninglessly in a vacuum bad. It's yeah. that it's bad for people's mental health. And I hope that people sure. uh, stop using it. And yeah. you may ask, well, like, well, then how are they going to hear about my music? And I go, just follow me on Spotify, you know? Yeah. Let's go to a, a show, you know? Yeah, go to a show, you go know, show. Google it, you know? Yeah. I'm not, yeah. like I said, not anti-internet. <laughs> not just, off the internet, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you um, haven't been blacklisted. No. Yet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that was awesome. Well, it was, it was nice to get to know you. Yeah, back at you, man. Yeah. Yeah, real pleasure. I, uh, yeah, I uh, look forward to hearing the rest of the new album when it comes out and, and seeing what you got in store next. Oh, if, thanks, uh, man. If 10 years from now you reappear with a great giant beard and, and some, some new wisdom, please, <laughs> please pop back on and lay it on me. You know, you got it, man. I look forward to it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And we're out. Oh, thank you, Mother Gaia. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, of course, I knew what Mother Gaia was from like history class when I was like a kid. But I think I can't. There's, remember when David Schwimmer was on 30 Rock and he played the guy they put on TV to like promote environmentalism? Oh, yeah. And he's like a son and he's like, did you listen to Mother Gaia? <laughs> I think that was... That's always what my brain goes back to when I think uh, of that. Oh, silly stuff. Rock. 
Jesus. Well, that's like the richest. I think we've talked about. It. Let's not talk about it. Oh, to get into Thirty Rock. I know our last <laughs> our last one. We had like twenty minutes in the office. If we're gonna <laughs> shill for these companies, Brad, start paying us. You know. Anyway, go listen to Will Wood. Look at his videos because I noticed yeah. like when I was hunting down socials and he talks about that he doesn't, you know, have anything to do with social media, but he does have at Will Wood official for Instagram. But I, I came across mostly that he seems to have a lot of like uh, YouTube videos, which with good reason because he's a colorful guy. Yeah. Um, so check that out and, you know, check out the record when it comes out, which is soon, right? Yeah, within the next month or two for sure. Um, and then he's doing some shows and uh, potentially disappearing. Yes. So you better go see his shows and <laughs> buy this record. Because, uh, you know, if you find the right mountain town and the right people, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're a successful logger with a young, you know, like a burgeoning career and... uh a steady gig at the corner bar there and you're a just big not, family not interested in coming back, you know? No. Like so so maybe this was the last interview with Will. Yeah, let's just say it is. So, you know, listen yeah. to it again. Yeah. Click. Follow us at going off track wherever you find such things. If you really want to follow us, you can go to patreon.com slash going off track, mm. become a patron, mm-hmm. have a little chat with us every, you know, if this isn't enough this last hour and a half, uh, you can actually go to the Discord every Thursday night and uh, Benny will uh, let you heal him <laughs> because really that's what it is. Man, it's more Neil's hour at this point. It is we should Neil's call it hour. The Neil we're going cha- to change it to the, the Discord server to the Neil. We got to. To Neil, what's up with Neil this week? Yeah, what's up with Neil? I love it. Interesting yeah. character. It's you know? fun. It's. I mean, I think we've got a lot of interesting characters. In and uh, ad-free episodes. Yeah, yeah, every week our friend Carrie lays like, oh, I was like skydiving in Egypt like in like, 1988. <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, so yeah, it is a cool crew. And uh, yeah, ad-free episodes on there. Ad-free episodes. Brad will um, post those weird times we miss a week, like last week. Brad will we'll post do some weird stuff. We'll do some stuff for you. Uh, yeah, we do a little you, video now and then. You notice? Um, you know what I've been noticing a, a lack of, Brad? I've been noticing what? a lack of sexually explicit reviews on Good. The iTunes. Let's keep it that way. I think... Thank you for the positive Do you reviews. hear how uncomfortable <laughs> Brad gets... When you put a little sugar, I'm a not little spice, a little, a little somebody, lotion. Somebody's going to hear, what is this podcast all about? I heard it's really good. And then they go and it's like, everybody's talking about sex. Like, no, listen. I mean, maybe that'll draw them just in. like, but, oh I my mean, God, Benny is just like the Teddy Pendergrass of podcasts. It is true. You know? I'll give you that. Like, can I just hear that every fucking once in a while? You are the Teddy Pendergrass. Something. I can't get okay. Wikipedia. You know, what do I got to do to get respect in this world okay grease benny up yeah grease me whatever it takes come on make me feel good uh so yeah that was fun thanks to will thanks to you brad thanks to you benny you really keep it going it's been fun going on this weird journey with you yeah old chap (laughs) (laughs) 